Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. I'm Tim Blevins, lead pastor, and I'm honored you have come to join us. To experience our full service or for more information, check out the links in the description. I hope this message ministers to you and helps you find life in Jesus. Good morning, Life Church. How are you today? So good. So good to see everybody. What a beautiful day. And um, I hope that some of that sickness is out and I'm seeing some of you come back and you've been talking to me about how sick you've been. And, but listen, God is still on the throne and we believe that God heals and I'm so glad you're here. If you're a guest with us today, though, I want to give you a special welcome. The whole church does. Let's give them a great welcome. So glad you came. Love for you to come back and be part of our church. And so listen, I'm, I'm going to preach a message today that that is really important to the heart of who we are as a church, but I think it's the message that if Jesus were here today and he were preaching to a church full of saved people, I think he would have a message that would teach us to go find the lost people. And I wanna talk about that today. That's the heart of who we are as a church. And I think we need to have a, a passion in the way that Jesus had a passion to find and search for people who do not know him yet, and we would lead them to know Christ, and their life would be changed. Jesus preached this message. He did it in three parables, and I'm going to just give you a little snip of those three parables for just a moment. The Bible says that Jesus taught about the lost sheep. You may have heard the story about the lost sheep. And Jesus said, suppose you have 100 sheep and one is lost. What would you do? And he said, you would leave the 99 that are found. You would leave that church body that is all saved and you would go on a hunt to find the one that's lost. Then he told a story about a lost coin. There was a woman who had 10 coins and she lost a coin. Listen, if I were telling this parable it would be the parable of the lost cell phone. And the pastor went searching and hunting until he found his cell phone or his car keys or his wallet. So he told the story about this lost coin, the parable, and the woman had 10 lost ones. And the Bible says she turned on a lamp. In other words, she lit up the room. It says she began searching and, and looking and she had a broom out sweeping and just to find this coin and she found the coin. Then Jesus goes on just in the same sermon he tells a message about the lost son and he says there's a father who had two sons and one of the sons left the home. He took his early inheritance and turned his back, basically the story is, he turned his back on his father and he went away and he squandered his life away on wild living and partying until finally he reached rock bottom and he finally came to his senses and he returned to his father and the Bible says that the father was, was looking and waiting for this son to come back and he returned. And so Jesus tells these stories about about those who were found and those who were lost and, and the passion for finding the lost. And I love the way the Bible 
takes these stories and at the end of it, it says that, that when the, the coin was found and when the sheep was found and when the son was found, at each point there was a type of celebration and it says all of heaven rejoices when one person comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. All of heaven. If you want to move heaven, you reach the lost. If you want to see and hear a celebration, if you want to create a party in heaven, then you reach the lost. And, and that's what it says. Jesus gave a mission statement. He said in Luke 19.10, and he said this is what he was all about. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And so we're here for that. We want to partner with Jesus in that. My sermon title today is tied straight to this. It's whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to, to sweep the house, to, to search, to, to go on a search and rescue mission with Jesus. Whatever it takes to, to pull out the broom, to I don't know about the sheep, how far he traveled, but he probably went through creeks and he went through hell and high water to find the lost sheep. And we want to go through hell and high water to find those who are lost and bring them to Jesus. We need to go on the search and rescue team with Jesus. I want to tell you a story out of the book of Mark. It's a really fascinating story, and it, it really tells you about this whole heart of whatever it takes. And so I'll take you to Mark. It's kind of a long section of Scripture. I'm just going to read it to you and tell you all about it when I finish. But it says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith did he see? He saw the, the four men's faith. He saw their faith, plural. He said to that paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there and they were watching this and they began to think to themselves and in their thoughts, they said, why does this fellow, I like that, talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? And he said, which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And so he got up, he took his mat, he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. What a story. Capernaum was Jesus' hometown. So he would often go out and travel, and he would return back to Capernaum. And because of that, he was well known in Capernaum. And so when he would come home, crowds would gather. They wanted to hear him teach. They wanted, to, they wanted to see him perform miracles of healing. And so 
He had returned to this home. It was probably Peter's home, if we read in, this, in the context of that. He had come there, and he was probably hanging out at Peter's house. And when he got to that house, this crowd began to form, a huge crowd. And I don't know how it worked, but somehow they got in the house. Yeah, so I don't know if they, they crawled through the window to get to Jesus. I don't know if they knocked and Peter opened the house up. I, we don't know, but we know the house was full of people. And then it got so full in the house, they started stacking up outside, and it was just a huge crowd. I want you to take yourself to Capernaum for just a minute. Imagine yourself there. Imagine this small town. It was a small town. Everybody knew each other. They had little dirt roads. It wasn't like a, a, a city like ours. It was much smaller, and, and houses were kind of beside each other, and they were all stacked in there with little vendors and little Little, little shops all along the way. And, and so Jesus had come in and, and was in the house and this crowd had formed and these friends had a, another friend who was paralyzed. And they were wanting to get this man to Jesus because they had faith that if they brought this man to Jesus, that Jesus would in fact heal their friend. And so they come with their friend and it says on a mat, but you have to understand, this wasn't like a yoga mat. He wasn't, they weren't carrying him on a yoga. It was like a, a little mini stretcher. Uh, so it was pretty much two wood you know, sides on it, and somehow they'd woven something together, and the man was sitting on there, paralyzed probably from waist down. And so he was kind of riding along, and they were carrying him, and they get to this house, and it's, it's just packed with people. And they're, they're like, what do we do? Now, in that culture in that day, houses were, were built in a way that they had a rooftop like a deck. So if you can picture a little house, kind of four walls, and they had beams that ran across the top of the walls from one side to the other, then they would, they would create something on the top that was solid surface, maybe a tile or a dried mud. In some way, they would create a solid surface and in that culture they would use that as a as a second place for them to eat dinner or when it was cool in the evening they would go up there and and fellowship on the top they would go up and maybe seek God up there on this rooftop and pray and sometimes they would do chores on top of these houses and and so they had this rooftop kind of like we would have a deck at our house so they had a deck on top of their house and to get there there was a set of stairs and so these, these four men had their friend, and they had him on a, on a mat, this, this little stretcher type thing, and the crowd is so big, and they can't get to Jesus, and, and one of the four comes up with this, this idea. He says, let's go up on the roof. Now, I don't know. I've, I've uh, tried to help people move couches and things, and to move a couch up the stairs wasn't so easy. I don't know what it was like trying to haul this buddy up the stairs and you know, I don't know if he was falling and, you know, what was going on, but they're like, we're dragging you up this, these stairs, whatever it takes. They get to the top, and now imagine yourself, you're one of the people that made it inside the house, and you're sitting there, and you're, and you're captured by the presence of Jesus. You're sitting in the home, and he's teaching, and he's, he's teaching stories and parables, and he's laying out who he was, and, you know, just this moment, and Imagine you're sitting there captured in this moment with, with the Son of God, and you're, you're just like, whoa. And all of a sudden, this dirt begins to fall in front of you. 
Now listen, I've preached a lot and sometimes things disrupt me. But I've never had someone tear a hole in the ceiling while I'm preaching to disrupt while I'm going. But imagine you're sitting there and this dirt begins to fall and you look up and you're like, what is going on? You hear something on the roof and the next thing you know, you see a little hole, a little daylight and you see some guys doing this number and they're, they're peeling back and it's a solid surface and, and they're like, this wasn't an easy task. I don't know how they began to, you know, rip it up and it was probably noisy and, you know, and just all kinds of ruckus going on. But they, they were determined that whatever it takes, we're going to get our friend to Jesus today. And so at some point, I guess Jesus stopped his sermon to look up and go, what in the world? Now listen, you have to realize this wasn't a little hole either. Like they were going to lower a man down on a, on a, like a cot or something, something pretty big. So, so they didn't just dig a little hole. I don't know if in the middle of that, one of them said, hey, who's going to pay for this when we get it fin when we finish this? You know, I don't know if Peter's down there going, hey, you're tearing up my house. That's going to, you know, you owe me, you know. And I like the idea that they were like, you know what? Some way, somehow, we'll figure out how to pay for it. But it's more important that we get people to Jesus. And there was a passion to get them to Jesus. And so they lower him down now through this hole. And now he is in front of Jesus and everything is at a, a stop and, and Jesus makes this statement. He looks at him and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now that's an important word, son. Now to our knowledge, he doesn't know this man. But I love that Jesus went straight to the heart. He went straight and called out to him, who he was going to be. And he was going to make him a son of the kingdom of God. Jesus knew he needed to be healed, but he went first to love. He went first to his identity. He went first to, to the greatest need the man had, and that was that he needed to be made a son of the, of the kingdom of God. He needed to be the father's son. He needed to be able to be like that prodigal son who finally came back to the father. And so he called him son. What a statement, son. I want you to know that when God sees you and I, he doesn't see you as servants. He doesn't see you as something that he can use. He sees you as so valuable that he wants to call you son and daughter. Like he wants to make a big family. And if you thought that God and the church was all about putting you to work and, and they want your money and all of that, listen, I want to just dispel that and say that the gospel teaches us that he wants to make us sons and daughters before he does anything else with our life. That's why he said, son, your sins are forgiven. And he forgave this man. Son, daughter. There were a group of religious leaders there that day. They were tore up. They were upset. But I want to tell you, they had right to be upset. They were justified in, their, in, in, in how they saw this. Because they were religious leaders of the law. And the law would say that only God can forgive sins. And the moment Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, they went to blasphemy. The old law says that anyone who is in blasphemy in this nature can be stoned to death. And so it escalated quick. 
When Jesus made the statement, which is easier for me to do, to heal this man or to say your sins are forgiven, Jesus didn't take the easy way out. And I want you to know Jesus never takes the easy route. He went to the point of saying your sins are forgiven. He knew good and well that moment in time, all those people there would say, stone him. Listen, we can't take the easy way out when it comes to reaching the lost. There may be people that look at you and think, who are you to share the gospel? Who are you to invite people to church? And, and you might find rejection from people. And the easy way out is to be like, well, I'm going to keep my relationship with Jesus private. And listen, the problem with our culture today is that the church has been private and we have been quiet and we need a bold, courageous church that will speak the truth of the gospel and we need a church that will say, this is what is right and this is what is wrong. We need courageous people. Jesus was courageous. He didn't take the easy route. He said, your sins are forgiven and it says that they immediately began to think in their minds, you know, oh my gosh, he's blasphemy. And then he looks at this man and he says, get up. And those religious leaders were now in a position of going, he must be the son of God. He validated who he was through the healing of this man. And then it says that everyone saw this. I, I picture this man who had been paralyzed standing up. Now, listen again, he didn't roll up a little yoga mat. No, he said, pick up your stretcher. Pick up that big thing that you rode down here in. And pick, I mean, so not only was he healed enough to walk, but he restored his muscles and he could lean down and he picked this thing up and he was walking out with a testimony that day. He's like, I used to ride on this thing, but now I carry this thing. And I want you to know that when Jesus changes your life, you've been changed, you've been transformed and the things that used to hold you back now you can carry it as a testimony and you can tell people that I was once broken, I was once lost, but Jesus has set me free and now I carry a new story. Man I've got to, I got to share my story. He carried that mat out. I bet he put it over his head and did a few presses with it on the way out. He's like, yes, Jesus. We need people with a passion to say, yes, Jesus. He changed my life. What a story. I love this story. I love that they, they did whatever it took to get this man in front of Jesus. I, I, love, the, I love that the heart of them began with, we, we need our friend to to be healed. Listen, Jesus didn't rely on hype to build his ministry. Jesus was a man of power. He was a man of miracles. And the stories of his miracles drew people in. And when you begin to invite people to church, I don't want you to say to them, man, we got a great lighting system. I don't want you to say, hey, we got comfortable chairs now. 
I don't even care if you say it used to be a skating ring and now it's a church. I, I, none of that matters. What I want you to do is I want you to say, if you'll come to my church, there's going to be a time in our service that we pray for the sick, we pray for the broken, we pray for miracles, and whatever you need in your life, you'll find it in that house there. Listen, I'm not here, I'm not here to build a church off of hype. Listen, I, I've, I, I've outaged that. The, the cool days are over. But let me tell you, I believe in the power of my Savior to heal, to set people free from addictions. Listen, I want the reputation of this house to be that of Jesus' reputation, that a crowd of people gather around to hear them preach, and to hear him pray and so people will get saved and so people will get healed. I want you to know the model of our ministry is gonna be we're gonna worship, we're gonna preach and we're gonna pray and we're gonna see people get saved and we're gonna see miracles happen in this house. That's our model. That's who we are. So let's do whatever it takes though to get our friends, our coworkers the people we go to school with, the people we work out with, let's do whatever it takes. If we have to put them on a mat and carry them in this house, if you have to beg them and plead them, and if you have to tell them stories of what God has done in your life, let's do whatever it takes to bring them to church so they can get in the presence of Jesus so that he can set them free and heal them and save them. Amen? So here's, three, here's four things I want us to grab a hold of. And whatever it takes, what, why do we do this? Why do we do whatever it takes? And number one, because this is our calling in life. This is what, listen, I know some of you have amazing jobs and, 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 and you have, you know, maybe you're stay-at-home moms and you have amazing things that you do with your life outside of coming to here. And it's amazing. But I want you to know your highest calling is reaching the lost. Your entire life before you knew Jesus was about finding him. Now, you may not have realized it, but circumstances and, and songs and people and, and the way the Holy Spirit moves, he's just drawing people. And, and, and so before you know Jesus, your life is about finding Jesus. But once you find Jesus, then your life is all about helping other people find Jesus. That's your calling. Let me, let me show you in the scripture. I like this verse out of Matthew chapter 5, 13, 14, and 15. I'm sorry, 13, 14, 16. Skipping a verse, but out of the message version, if you ever read the message, it's just really plain English. And it says this, let me tell you why you're here. I like that. For those of you who are thinking and asking, you're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors on the, of this earth. You're here to be salt you're here to bring out the flavor of God. People ought to see you and get thirsty for him. People ought to be, that are in your life, there ought to be something about your life that, that they go, something is interesting and I'm drawn to that. The Bible says that, next verse, it says in verse 14, it says, here's another way to put it, you are here to be light, bringing out the God colors of the world. God is not a secret to be kept. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. We're going public with this as a public, as a city on a hill. You're to be light. People ought to see you and they ought to see Jesus shining through you in some way. 
There ought to be things that you say and the way you live your life that people would think, hey, there's something about you. Light. And verse 16 says, when we are salt and light, and by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. That's what you'll do. That's what we do. We prompt people. One of our value statements in our church is that we'll make a difference. So we have three, worship God. That's, that's our highest thing we can ever do is know and worship God. That's where it begins. We need a community, find community. But together we want to make a difference. And we make a difference by being salt and light. We make a difference by bringing people to church and helping people open up to God. So that's the first thing you need to know. That's your calling in life. The second thing is, is, is that whatever it takes, why? is because people need the Lord. People need the Lord. Long before they know they need the Lord, they need the Lord. I, I don't need to go into a, a lot of conversation about the brokenness that's around us. And as a result of brokenness, we have the, the way people live their life and the, the, the nature of how they view the world. And, 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 it, and it's just because of their, their lack of having a, a biblical revelation of who they are. They don't know they're sons and daughters of God yet. They haven't been transformed yet. So they, have, they don't think like a son or a daughter of the kingdom. They think like a son or daughter of the enemy and so they live that way and so we should not be surprised the root problem in our culture today isn't politics the root culture in our in our culture today is that there are not enough transformed hearts that will lead a country the way God would have us to lead it right and so our heart is to reach people hurting people hurt other people I mean, that's, that's why it happens that way. People are struggling from all kinds of things in life. There are the struggles of, of finances now. There are struggles of, of, of marriages that are, are, are in, in, you know, in, in stretched and they're not well. And there's struggles of our healing. And people are walking around with the things that they've failed in life. And they feel the shame of their fail. They carry this stuff around. The pains are in their heart. Some people are on the opposite spectrum of that. They may be not hurting. Maybe they're pretty well off in, in the world today. But the problem is, is they're putting their hopes in the wrong thing. And it doesn't matter. At some point, when you put your hopes in the world, it will show up empty in your life down the road. No one is immune to needing Jesus. Jesus is the only hope for humanity. People need the Lord. The Bible says in John 3, 17, again in the message, it says God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. No, what he do? He came to help and to put the world right again. And anyone who trusts in him is acquitted, meaning they are forgiven. Their sins have been taken away by Jesus. Anyone who trusts in Jesus is acquitted. Anyone who refuses, though, to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without even knowing it. There are so many people that don't even know their, their destiny because they've never met Jesus yet. We know, that drives me, we know the destiny of those who never turn to Jesus 
And it says, and why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. People don't take that opportunity. Our job, though, is to give them the opportunity over and over and over. We'll do whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus. Why? Because lost people matter to God. Like, that's on the mind of God. God loves you. If you're saved, he adores you. So much so, he calls you a son and a daughter. But he's somewhat distracted when he looks down and he sees the lost. Our destiny is secured. Your destiny is is, is paid for. Your eternity, we sang a song, holy forever. We're going to hold it forever and ever. We, We have that. In this short life we have, though, God is looking down and he he sees us, loves us, heals us in our life, but he's also somewhat distracted by all those who don't know him yet. And it's his passion for the lost to come into the family of God, to be sons and daughters. 2 Peter 3.9 says it like this. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. What, What is that talking about? The promises of the second coming of Christ. And, and, and the, the end of the world when God wraps it all up. It says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. In other words, that's going to happen. We understand this as slowness. But from God's perspective, it says instead, God is patient with you. He's patient with the world because he's not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. And the reason he is holding back on wrapping this all up is because there are people that we work with, people that we know, people in our families, people in our gyms, people wherever we go that don't know Jesus yet. And he's restraining himself for a moment, giving them another opportunity to turn to Christ. Do whatever it takes. Why? Because... I once was lost. That's why. I know the the transforming power of Jesus. I know what it's like to hit rock bottom and, and for Jesus to come into my life. I know that without Jesus, my life would not be where it is today. I know that through Jesus, my Life has been changed, and I know that he's healed my body, and I know that he is real, and I I know because I've been transformed. I, I once was lost, and I praise God that I'm found today. If you don't know my story, I'll share just briefly. I grew up in a wonderful Christian family. My mom and dad were beautiful, just loved each other, loved the Lord served in church and they took my brother two sisters to church all the time and we grew up in church and my pastor dr frank harvey he was he was harriet's pastor as well and and it was just amazing time just in a a great church great family and i love my pastor by the way my pastor our pastor he's going to be here on father's day to preach Um, so i cannot wait when he comes, uh, listen, he is, 
Listen, he is the most dear person to us because of the, the way he poured into our life. And when he does come on Father's Day, uh, I, I would love it if when he comes on the platform, if we would just stand and honor him for his many years, years and years of faithfulness to preach and to raise up sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. But he'll be here on Father's Day, be special. But I grew up in that environment, went to college and met some really amazing friends. They were great, friendly. We just had too much fun. And so I, I won't, you know, I don't know if any of them ever watched these messages today, but we casually began to drink. Then it escalated. Have you ever noticed how things escalate? So then we casually started messing with drugs. And what was casual for me turned into closer to a dependency for me. And three years kind of out from under my family's covering and wild living, I was, I was so much like the story of the prodigal son. And I was in college and, and just partying hard and slipped into deeper into different drugs and it, and, and it always escalates. I, I, don't, I don't need to tell you all, you, you can follow the story. There was this one lady though that was part of our church that Pastor Frank pastored. Her, na her name was Gloria. Gloria was a dear saint and she loved me. She loved our family and she would pray for me while I was in college. They all knew my life was messed up. They, they knew it. And she would write me these letters. And, and it was actually as she was praying, she would pray and write and pray and write and pray and write. And I'm, they were eight pages, handwritten front and back pages. And she would mail them to me. Now I'm in the middle of just ugly and I would get this envelope, and before I'd read it, I'd start weeping. And there was something about the power of God in that little envelope. I would open it up, and I had a friend that was from my hometown, and we went to church together, and he and I both were in a mess together. And, and, and we'd read this, and we'd cry together. But somehow, I couldn't make the, the change. And I'd fold it up and stick it in my Bible. And I would go back to squander and squalor. And, and there was like something, I just, it just kept pulling me away from what I knew was right. And I don't know if any of you ever been in a, a position and a lifestyle that just continued to drag you in. And I was, I was trapped in it. There was this random girl that walked up to me at a bar one night. I was staggering around the bar and she walks up to me and she goes, God has a purpose for you. And she turned around and walked off. Ruined my night. <laughs> so, one Sunday morning, I get up and something is stirring in my heart. And I open my Bible and there are letters there. And I said, God... I've had too many panic attacks. I've, I've gone to bed too many nights wondering if I'm going to wake up from this. I need help. 
And I just felt the Lord say, enough's enough. Go home. I packed up my stuff. Told my buddies on Sunday afternoon, I'm dropping out of college today. I have to go home. They had no idea what was going on. I went home and I got to my house and Sunday evening and I pull up in the driveway and I'm like, I got to go in and I tell my parents that my life is a disaster. They raised me one way and I'm living out a different way and I'm dropping out of college today. They're going to be so proud. (laughs) I felt the shame. So much shame was sitting on me. I got to the house and I didn't just open the doors. I mean, I lived in this house. I knocked on the door like a stranger, like I was a guest, like I was a servant. They said, come in. We lived in the mountains. You didn't lock the doors then. Come in. I opened the door, and they come to the top of the stairs, and they're like, are you okay? And I said, yes and no. I'm fine, but I need to come home. And they said, come. And they embraced me. And they said these words. They said, welcome home. You see, we put welcome home on our walls and we flash it on our screens. That's not a catchy slogan for us. I received tangible grace and love and forgiveness from my parents that taught me how a heavenly father accepts us when we're a mess if we'll just come home. And when our people come in and you invite your friends to church and they see welcome home, I want you to know what that means. I want you to know that means they're going to find grace here. They're going to find forgiveness here. They're going to find love here. They're not going to judge you for what you've been doing. They're going to bring you in into the presence of God and they're gonna, you're going to carry them in on a mat and you're going to do whatever it takes to get them here and you're not going to determine whether God's going to do something great because you know he is. And God's going to look at them and he's going to say, son. He's going to say, daughter. Mm. And he'll change their life. Our church verse says, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Our passion as a church, our slogan as a church is that we will help people find life in Jesus. And so here's, here's my call to action today. And it's simple. But I will do whatever it takes to help people find life in Jesus. That's, that's my call to action today. And Easter's coming up. And you have a, an excellent opportunity to invite people to church. On the screen, I want you to see some of the events coming up. On Sunday, March 24th, which is the beginning of Holy Week. So it's the week before Easter. And, and I'm going to teach you on that Sunday about Holy Week and, and how to approach Easter coming so that it's holy. So it's not just a holiday, it's a holy day, right? Because we're Christians. This is like a significant week for us. So significant that I want you to plan ahead today in a couple ways. One is I want you to plan ahead by inviting people because they need to be in front of a holy God. But also I want to prepare your heart that you approach this week different. I I want it to be different. I I don't want it to be just another week for us. So we have Holy Week, we'll talk about that. On that week, on Friday, 
We have a Good Friday service here at 3 p.m. Now, this is going to be a unique service for us because at 3 p.m., the Bible teaches us when Jesus died on the cross. That was the moment that he died on the cross. And so we're going to gather in a remembrance and we'll have communion together. Now, I want to let you know, this is going to be a little heavier moment for us. This isn't a, a, a celebration yet because the celebration comes on Sunday. It comes when we celebrate a risen Christ. But it'll be special, so I hope you'll make part of that. Easter is the best time to invite people to church. And so I'm inviting you to do whatever it takes. And you may have to ask somebody five times. Right? Because we're carrying a mat. Like, whatever it takes. We're, we're, we're dragging them up the, the stairs. You may have to drag somebody here. Mamas, you may have to drag your kids to church. You're, you're going to tear a hole in the roof. In other words, you're going to do whatever it takes. You're going you're to face rejection. You're going to talk to people and they're going to no. And you're going to talk to them and no. Somebody's going to say yes, though. Because you're going to tear a hole in the roof to get somebody to Jesus. And we're going to have a passion for that. You may get rejected. People may shun you. People may say, I don't know if I can be your friend. You're one of those Jesus people. And if they only knew, right? If they only knew. If they only knew your story. Maybe you share it. Oh, whatever it takes. Maybe you're here today and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus. And maybe someone did a whatever it takes to get you here today. Maybe it was a, a friend who sent a letter. Maybe it was a song you heard that drew your heart. Maybe you're driving by on Oleander and you just showed up to church today. Maybe you've been here for a while, but you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. And today is your day of salvation. I'm here to testify that I once was on a paralyzed mat my story, not physically, but. And Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. And he wants to forgive your sins. He wants you to be a son or daughter in his kingdom family. And so I want to invite you to that today. Would you bow your heads? Father, if there's anyone in this room today that has never met you, would you make this their moment today? Would you tap on their heart? Would you, would you begin to draw them by your spirit? Thank you, Lord. If you want to make a decision today, I'm, I'm going to say a prayer in just a moment. But before I do, I want to give you an opportunity to lift your hand to me and say, Pastor, today I want to pray that prayer for the first time. If that's you, would you lift your hand up to me? I'd love to see your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else? I don't miss anybody. Let's all pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. He came to earth. He died on the cross for my sins. I turn to Jesus. I repent of my sins. And now I'm forgiven. I'm whole. I'm set free. There's no shame. My life is different from this point on because of Jesus. Amen, church. Amen, church. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Because after Jesus prayed for salvation, he began to heal people. 
He healed a paralyzed man. And I don't know what your need is today, but let's be a supernatural church as well. Let's be a church that believes in the power of miracles. If our prayer team had come on up here, and if you need something in your life and you need a touch from God, if you need a, a savior in your marriage and your finances, if your body is sick and broken in any way, if you're walking in fear in any way, if there's something going on in your life, you need to come up here and say to one of these prayer people and say, I need the power of God in my life right now and pray for a miracle today. If you raised your hand, by the way, to surrender your life to Jesus, I would love for you to come tell one of these people today and say, I prayed that prayer for the first time. We just want to acknowledge that and just partner with you on how to take your next step. So please come to them. Communion is in the corners of our room. Let's take communion. Let's take this last part of this moment, though. This is, this is so great. Don't, don't run out the door. Pray for God to do miracles in his house. All right, let's, let's just, let's become a, a house of miracles, amen? All right, so you're free to go get communion. You're free to come get prayer. You can stand and worship whatever makes you feel good.